Hello everybody, Ben Rogers here, the Raptors Digest, reacting the Toronto Raptors 98-97 loss to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and this was a tough one, both teams played at a level that was pretty high level basketball, I'd say that this was a, both teams came out and wanted this W, but unfortunately the Toronto Raptors came up short, and the Oklahoma City Thunder are a team that didn't have much expectations coming into the start of the season, people, honestly, people probably expected that they trade all their good players, but when you look at their roster, and I know they didn't have Gallinari tonight, the the Oklahoma City Thunder were, sh were short-handled, but they still have Shea Gilgis-Alexander, who's having a remarkable season, Kendrick Perkins came out and said, this guy should be an all-star in the Western Conference, and you know he's got a point, especially after the, the game he's had tonight, Chris Paul, who's an NBA legend, one of the best point guards of all time, obviously a bit older, but was traded from the Rockets, not because of his play, but more so because of the injuries he's dealt with, but he's currently healthy for this Thunder team, and Steven Adams, who's one of the most big, the biggest brutes in the NBA, can score underneath the rim, he's really aggressive, and this team is pretty solid, they have some talent, and both came into this game shorthanded, obviously we're missing our number one option, and uh, Norman Powell, who was was like our 1B option before he went down with injury, and Marcus Gasol, obviously, who runs our offense, so... As we've seen with every game as of late, if we want to get the W, we really have to make sure everything goes right. We're not getting any easy wins. And even though the, the Raptors played well enough to possibly win this game, especially if it wasn't for some misfortunes that we'll talk about in the segments, the, the Toronto Raptors... They couldn't pull it out tonight, and there's a lot of things, but we'll start with the positives, because there was a lot of positives to take away from this game, and the McCaw, Point McCaw, has honestly looked really good. It wasn't just a one-off fluke that we had against the Boston Celtics, he's come out with the ball in his hands, he's looking a lot more confident, and not even just when he's dribbling, but when since he has the ball in his hands more often, his jumpers look nice, he's hitting corner threes at a high rate, it, it's great to see Patrick McCaw just coming into his own, because as we said, he's a jack-of-all-trades, he's pretty good at everything, but occasionally can get lost in the shuffle because he doesn't have that one skill that takes him to the next level, to to really fall back on when the rest of his game isn't going. But, you know, ever since he's gotten this option, ever since he's gotten this opportunity, sorry, to have the ball in his hands the past two games, he's looked really good. So, shout out to Nick Nurse for making that adjustment. Patrick McCaw, he's got the size, he's got the length to be a guard in this league and defend different wing positions, so you can pair him with a guy like Fred and Lowry. And two of those guys, they, they played solid tonight as well. They both each had 20 points. Uh, Lowry 6 of 13 shooting, Fred 7 of 18 uh, both hit, a, Larry hit two threes, Fred hit four threes, but if I were to rate their performance, again, this was an average game for the Toronto Raptors. Everyone played well, but no one really stood out, and neither of these guys from the eye test to watch this one, even though they had decent box score numbers, Fred also had eight assists, they they didn't really have an impact on this game where they, they took it over. They just said, hey, I'm putting us on our back, or I'm taking the Pascal Siakam role as the number one option, I'm going to try and take this over, and Lowry had six turnovers as well, he made a few few mistakes, he's usually pretty efficient with his turnovers, but considering he has the ball in his hands, I don't know, those guys didn't really take over, but they certainly didn't play poorly by any means, so an average game for, for our backcourt, Serge Ibaka, again, not a great game, but not a bad game, he went up against Steven Adams, who's obviously a much bigger player. He's a true center, even though Serge Ibaka is a true center in today's NBA. He's not a, a big brooding guy that has usually disappeared in this league. You don't usually match up against him, but tonight we matched up against probably the biggest of, of the, these players, and Steven Adams. He, he Steven Adams didn't have the greatest game, but still got got a box amount. He's still a threat out there in the court, and his presence is always felt. And Serge Ibaka, again, 12 points, 14 rebounds, really did a good job of blocking them out. 
he was he was solid tonight. He hit a couple threes as well, which is always a, a positive. Off the bench, we had O'Shea Brizzik coming back, and not as many rebounds tonight, but still had a positive impact in my opinion. I'd, I'd like to see him be a bit more confident with the shots. He knocked down a couple buckets tonight, a few shots in the paint, one really nice double-clutch layup. Boucher, 9 points, 3-7 shooting, and an average Boucher game, 5 rebounds. Terrence Davis, he had a few really nice threes. I would have liked to seen him be a bit more aggressive as well because TD is really streaky, and I'm not meaning that in the, the Terrence Ross way where he'll be really, really good for one game and then four straight games he'll be just kind of off and inconsistent. But Terrence Davis, he's usually pretty consistent. He's mellow throughout the game. He always plays defense. He always does the right, seemingly makes the right decisions, especially for a rookie on the court. But when he knocks down a three, he's ready to fire one back up the next possession. He usually makes it because, yeah, he's streaky in that sense. He knocks down, he knocks down one, he can knock down a bunch. And he went through one of those spurts where he hit two straight threes, and then he didn't get the ball again for about five or six possessions, and usually Lowry's really good at feeding the hot hand. I don't know if he was on the court at this point in the game, but, you know, TD gets rolling. You got to keep feeding him, and I think that's something the Raptors should look at. I remember his next shot was a, a shot clock beating where he was just swung the ball, and he had to shoot one from really far, and he ended up airballing it. Obviously, no matter what the circumstances are, if you shoot an airball, your confidence is just going to be tampered back down to earth so I would have liked to see TD get get the ball more when he's firing or look for a shot a little bit more because especially with tonight no one really took over no one really had it going at a a max level we need some of our scoring options to to get the team going get the team fired up so in games like this where Kyle Lowry isn't necessarily being the greatest point guard in NBA history which it feels like he's had those types of games over the past stretch of games but when he's not rolling at a El Fuego level, right? You need some other players to step up. Boucher has done it some nights. He wasn't really there tonight. You can't expect Boucher to be a 20 point per game scorer, but he's still at nine. When no one's really stepping up to that level, I think guys like Terrence Davis, Fred Van Vliet, who can create their own shot, they should look to be extra aggressive. And honestly, that's what Fred does. And he was extra aggressive tonight. He had 20 points, eight, eight assists. But a guy like TD, he did shoot a shot. So I would, I'd like to see the Raptors getting more involved about about shooting that shooting that ball a bit more. So that, that's my takeaway from the, just the roster. Again, no one played poorly except for one player. I'm gonna leave for the segments as well. But yeah, there there's not a lot to break down, positive or negative, because it's really just median game they was right around the mean for where the Toronto Raptors play and this is the type of game that I never get stressed out I thought we were going to win this the whole way and this is what the Toronto Raptors have done they did it last year with Kawhi they've done it through the start of this season they did it when we had DeMar and Lowry on that bench mob squad the Raptors are a really strong regular season team and when they play a good team and that's usually a level below them and honestly they even do it against some better teams but when the Raptors keep the game close and they, they go neck and neck, a team's giving them their best punch, they usually stay close. If the game's pretty wild, they know how to close. They know how to execute down the stretch, and they know how to get a couple buckets. But unfortunately right now, we don't have our number one closer. The guy that's hit a couple game winners for us this season, Pascal Siakam, our number one option, or even when he's on the court and he's not the one finishing, he's usually a diversion, so it makes it easier for Lowry or Fred. And Lowry's been doing it as of late, but again, he doesn't get those buckets as easy as Siakam does. So the thing about these close games is the ones that the Raptors usually win because they know how to execute, get an easy shot for a player that can make easy buckets down, down the stretch. They usually do that. They defend at a high high enough level where the other team can't get it. But we saw it in this one. We saw it in the Pacers game that without a player of the magnitude of Pascal Siakam and 
everything that he that I just brought up about him and his impact on the game. It's really tough for us to really execute and get the best, easiest shot down the stretch. And we're usually relying on Lowry or Fred to go one-on-one and save the day. And they're capable. They're confident. They're they're willing to step up to the plate. But without that giant magnet on the court, it's a lot tougher, especially with their smaller guards. So some nights they do it, some nights they don't. And tonight was a, a night they don't. But I'm sure when Pascal Siakam comes back and Nick Nurse can go to his usual schemes down the stretch, the, the games will be fine. But there's a lot of stuff to talk about this game that I've left for the segment, so I'm going to dive straight into it. Tonight, the spicy P-lay of the day. It's uh, it's going to be clear for anyone that watched this game. Chris Boucher, spicy P-lay of the day. Chris Boucher, he, he got... Nerlens Noel came down on our end and threw down a nice dunk. I was pretty impressed. He it was some contact there. I'm not sure who he did it over, but... Chris Boucher was not going to be outmatched by another long, wiry center, and he caught a lob and caught a body on this this possession. It was, it was a really exciting play. Boucher, he's had some nice dunks this season. He posterized Dwight Howard. He goes in there ready to try and yam it down. So shout out to Chris Boucher, man. He's a high underrated highlight reel. You know, hit some clutch threes, get some nice dunks. Shout out to Chris Boucher. But not all plays can be the spicy play of the day, and some just make you say, oh, geez. And... If a play makes you say, oh, geez, literally watching the game, you gotta you gotta put it into this podcast, because Chris Paul, at the end of this one, it was the deciding factor, really, in this game, considering it was so close and we lost by one, but he took about seven steps. Clearly, Lowry had all ball on this possession, but the possession was still within Chris Paul's hands, and he took about three steps running into Lowry. Lowry kind of tipped it from him, and it could have been, he had his hand on the ball enough to be called a jump ball, maybe, but it would have been one of those weird jump balls where the refs just call it super quick. And, you know, Chris Paul still had the still had the ball in his hands like a wide receiver, took about two more steps. Then Lowry kind of backed off because he blatantly traveled, so he backed off. And then Chris Paul took a couple more steps with Lowry out of the picture and just shot an open mid-range jumper. Not a travel was called, not a jump ball was called, not even a foul. The Raptors would have been better off if a foul was called, which would have been a stupid call regardless, but there had to be a whistle blown. Clearly, Chris Paul took about eight steps, regardless of how it happened, and when you look at the replay, it was clearly just he misfumbled it and took traveled both ends after he got the ball and after it was tipped and all that, so that that was a turning point in this game, and the referees, again, we gave them a Damari Carroll gold star in the Celtics win that we had last game, but the foul differential, and the, the thing about it is, because... I'm not a guy that that likes to blame referees, and I hate that the last two podcasts we've they've been a main focus. But the foul discrepancy for the Toronto Raptors and their opponents has been just such a wide margin. And you look at it and you say, okay, well maybe the Toronto Raptors did foul twice as much as the Oklahoma City Thunder. But watching the game, the Toronto Raptors are driving in left, right, and center. Their offense is oriented around getting in the paint, looking to score, and then if it's not there, that they then they kick it out. And they're getting bumped bruised, all that sort of stuff and they entered the key. And frankly, it just it's just not called at the same level that they get called on. And maybe and I have one theory too. This is something that I'd like to throw out to you guys. I talked about it to a couple of my friends, but I've never voiced it on the podcast. The Raptors are very vocal and we have guys like Kyle Lowry who's always talking to the referees. We have Nick Nurse who's who are getting more uh, technical fouls than Draymond Green. But does complaining to the refs maybe hurt our case? Because we're always in the refs' ears and I saw a couple possessions. It really struck me tonight. I remember Nick Nurse was really animated about how he reacted to a foul. And then the next possession, they called an offensive thing on the a offensive foul on the Raptors, which was just a horrible call. And 
don't know. Maybe it's just me, but he looked as he's running back. It looked like he looked at the Raptors bench or one of the one of the referees. And I don't know. The refing has just been really tough for the Toronto Raptors, especially where we're shorthanded and we can't play through it. And I know Siakam gets a lot of foul calls as well, so. We don't have that star player, and Lowry's never gotten calls throughout his entire career, but we don't have that star that, that does accumulate the foul calls. There was some pretty obvious, blatant missed calls for the Oklahoma City Thunder, but if you just look at the, a total analysis of who got more calls, who got the more benefit of the doubts, in my opinion, watching this game, looking at the numbers, it was clearly the Oklahoma City Thunder. In a close game like this, obviously there's going to be missed calls both ways, but that discrepancy is uh, is clearly can be factored into one of the reasons the Raptors lost and I don't I hate blaming losses on the referees I'm not blaming it totally on them but certainly interesting to watch and we don't have one OGs play tonight we have two OGs and I talked about how Terrence Davis was really good and I like to see him be more aggressive get more opportunities with the Toronto Raptors team but he did make one rookie mistake tonight it was clear it was a rookie move it's the the only way to put it but the Toronto Raptors down by one with 13 seconds left TD was left on an island with another defender, and I get the Toronto Raptors like to trap to see if they can get a steal before they, they foul, and I'm sure that's what was going through his head, but down 1-13, no one else to really trap, I know a player was coming over, and it, no foul happened, it, it, 13 seconds, 10 seconds ended up going off the clock before they could foul again, they had one to give, and TD just missed an easy opportunity to foul, which would have given the Raptors, assuming that they made both, which they, you know, the, the Oklahoma City player may have missed, but assuming they made both, it still would have been a one-possession game. The Raptors had a chance to tie it, but unfortunately, they left three seconds on the clock, and it was being able to be run out by Shea Gilgis-Alexander, and that was it. It was a anticlimactic ending, and yeah, it was it was just a weird sight. But also, shout-out to Shea. He, that, that man's really played well tonight. Got a lot of buckets, 12-21 from the field, 32 points, 7 rebounds, a couple of assists, and this was a guy, if you recall the podcast, I remember making a few videos Masai Ujiri was really interested in Shea Gilgis-Alexander around the draft. This was the the draft after we got knocked out by LeBron, the summer we traded for Kawhi, and there's a lot of rumors we were going to trade up in the draft to draft this player, and it's looking like it would have been a smart move, but last season, it, it would have been a smart move to do it, but Masai Ujiri had a smarter move to he up his sleeve and we ended up winning a championship because of it. So I'm happy Shea's in a position where he can possibly maybe make an all-star team in his second year. I'm happy he's in a place where he can thrive and I'm sure OKC has a bright future ahead of them with all their draft picks and their young players. And, and yeah, we got to give credit where credit's due. They had a lot of players step up. Uh, Basley, he he made some, he hit a lot of threes tonight. It seemed like there was a stretch where he was knocking them down consistently. Uh, Nader didn't have the greatest box score, but he left a really solid impact. His defense was great. Uh, Dort, Dort, he's a guy I actually never played against him directly in a matchup, but I played a, competed against him in Nationals one year. He's my year for basketball. I was on Newfoundland. He was on Quebec. So nice to see another Canadian play, play solid minutes. He didn't do the greatest in terms of scoring, but his defense, especially on Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet, man's can really move his feet. He's a big body. I think he has the, the potential to be a, a solid player in this league because considering he has a defense, an NBA-ready skill in terms of his defense, polish up the offense a little bit, he, he could definitely be a contributor for the Oklahoma City Thunder wherever he ends up. So, yeah, shout out to OKC. But finally, the infamous, the one, the only, Damari Carroll Gold Star Award. And one of my favorite players on this roster, OG Ananobi. Everyone said that when Pascal Siakam went down, Norman Powell went down, Marcus All went down in all one game. You scour Raptors Reddit, Twitter, scour what we were saying on the podcast that 
OG Ananobi's time to step up and show what he can do as a, as a guy that'll be a focal point in the offense. He was a player that needed to really step up for, for us to maintain the level we were playing, and the Raptors have been able to be fine. We've treaded water without our players, but OG Ananobi really hasn't taken that leap that we're kind of hoping he would with the added offensive role or possible role, and man, oh, I don't know what he's doing. I don't know what, what what's happened with OG, considering there's some points this year where his dribbling, because the biggest issue with OG's offensive game is his dribbling, because he's a solid shooter when he's confident. He's a really good at just slashing and finishing around the rim when he's in a decent position, when he's under control. And there's points where OG's ball handling looks pretty solid, much improved. We in the games that he plays well, I seem I think I bring it up every time that his ball handling looks looked really good that game. But there there's nights where he just reverts back to that guy that looks like a deer in the headlights, looks a bit shocked, looks a bit confused when he's out there, or he drives in just out of control. You're always worried in these types of games that there's going to be a player underneath the rim waiting to take a charge because he's just out there ready ready to ramp people over. He's big enough where if he even knocks you a little bit, you'll go flying. So I just want to see OG confident with his ball handling, confident with his jumper. I know he took seven threes. I was happy he kept taking them, but still looked a little bit hesitant, didn't look free flowy like I would have liked for him to see from OG Ananobi, so I don't know, he's still a really young player, I'm sure, I, I'm high on OG Ananobi, I'm never gonna ride off OG Ananobi Island, he could average zero points for the rest of his career, I'll still say he has potential, but I'm biased and all that, but I want to know what you guys think about OG, and what have you seen from him, well, how long will it take for him to really become the player that we need, because Honestly, this season he's been really good. He's been knocking down threes. It's kind of tapered off a little bit, but his defense is always impeccable. But the offensive game just needs to become a little bit more well-rounded for the Toronto Raptors to really have success with him at the starting three. So, I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see how he develops. We're, we're running long on this podcast, especially for a game that wasn't super interesting in terms of no one played really bad, no one played really good. Just an average median game, which we ended up losing. So you're the best for making this far. Check out the Twitter, the Instagram, all that cool stuff. Uh, yeah, again, I was about to ask Riker if there's any last words, but we'll be back together on the next podcast. Anyways, I'm signing out. Cheers.